from the EBKV studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to Flyers AD on Brotherly Pod with your hosts, Anthony DeMarco and Daniel Lesh. Okay, everybody, welcome to Flyers AD here. It is Thursday, January 9th, 2020, and uh, we are here to talk about the Flyers, unfortunately. Uh, Last time Anthony and I talked would have been last Friday. So since then, they got massacred by the Coyotes 6-2. They lost in overtime to Carolina, and then they somehow beat the Capitals last night 3-2 in regulation, thanks to a Kevin Hayes shorthanded breakaway goal in the second. They may have won that game, but it was much of the same for the Flyers, where it wasn't pretty at all. You know, they scored first. Washington immediately scored two goals afterwards. Uh, Haig tied it up, and, and then later uh, Hayes was able to uh, score that breakaway goal with uh, 7.59 in the second. So much the same. Carolina game looked very ugly as well. Flyers uh, scored twice early, and they allowed four straight goals, and then Albie Cabell got one late, but just uh, and they took it to overtime where uh, Dougie Hamilton scored because Travis Sanheim was out there without a stick like a fucking idiot and put it right between his legs, screening, uh, screening his own goaltender. And in the Coyotes game, they scored four straight and essentially beat the Flyers in a very ugly way. I believe the goalie was pulled in that one as well, if this page would fucking load. Yep, that was the one where uh, Hart was pulled early on. So pretty ugly stretch here, even though they beat the Capitals. But, uh, you know, this has still not been a very good uh, Flyers team, Anthony. Yeah, well, the Coyotes game I missed. I was out Saturday night doing much more better things with my life. Uh, (laughs) But uh, from what I recall is that the Flyers actually didn't play as bad as the score. Hart allegedly just laid an egg in the first period, and it just set them behind the eight ball. They never caught up. Uh, The Hurricanes game, like that one, like it, it had some positives, But at the end of the day, the Flyers really only got a point because James Reimer was just absolutely atrocious. Like, the first goal was brutal, and then the second, no, the third and the fourth goals went right through him, literally. And if it not for Reimer being so bad, the Flyers don't even get a point out of that. You know, a lot of people said that Elliott wasn't too good. Personally, like, I just go from, like, expectation from a backup goaltender, and he gave them a chance to win. Did he allow a soft one or two? You could make that argument, especially the blast from the point. But at the same time, he came up with, like, two or three really good stops, especially a a sprawling split save late in the second period right after Aubé Kubel narrowed the, the deficit to just one. So... In that game, you know, I don't put that on Elliott. I just say that the Flyers salvaged a point because of James Reimer being horrible. And then last night, like, ugh, like they got the win in regulation against Washington, and you can't take it away from them. But again, like, they kind of pulled that out because they held on by a thread for the last period and a half. Like, yeah. I was just waiting for the Capitals to blow that door right open. And, you know, like, when I was watching it, 
it like the Capitals were almost playing like they didn't take the Flyers seriously. And it was because uh, much of the first period, the Flyers had some good offensive zone time. They generated some attacks, but it was like every time the puck went back into their end and Provorov and Niskanen weren't on the ice, it just became a complete fucking shit show. Like Travis Sanheim has just been absolutely brutal this last stretch of games. He was at fault for, in my mind, the first two goals. I know people tried to put on Carter Hart Mm -hmm. and say that, and I, I really didn't understand, like, you know, one was a one-timer from the slot, and the second one, they walked right in, and there was a fucking disaster in front of the net, and the guy shot it from point-blank range between the hash marks. I don't know how you could blame Carter Hart for that, and I just said he probably is the sole reason why they came away with that regulation win, but... You know, good on the Flyers. They've gotten to, you know, I know this is a tiny sample size, but they've gotten three out of a possible four points in the last two games. Maybe they're still, they're starting to change things around, but there's still a lot of things to fix here, and it's not just on the goaltending. Yeah, the defense has been rough outside of Niskanen and Provorov, especially Travis Sanheim. I saw a tweet, I think it was Charlie O'Connor, this, or maybe it was last night after the game or whatever it was, maybe this morning, I don't remember, but he essentially said, oh, you know, I know one, everybody wants to blame the goaltending or uh, blame Travis Sanai, but it's actually the goaltending's fault and the defense overall wasn't good and the team effort wasn't good. Doing everything he could that he didn't have to admit that Travis Sanheim was bad, which I got caught up in a couple arguments like that today. People, oh, you're overreacting. Like, no, Travis Sanheim has been bad pretty much all season long. He's been brutal to watch, especially in his own end. You know, it's it's what you do when you have a lot of these offensive guys that can't play defense. The Flyers just happen to have an abundance of them for some reason. And, uh, you know, Sanheim has been at fault, for especially those two goals last night. Uh, the Flyers just really, it was one of those games where it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> if the Capitals really wanted to, I think they could have ended that game uh, uh, very early on. But, you know, the Flyers hung in there. And Carter Hart was... He should have had those two first ones. They were relatively soft, given the defensive breakdowns. But after that, he was a uh, stone wall there in the rest of the game, making him look good and, and being able to pull out the W, which is big. It's a big, it's a Metro Division win. You get two points against a Metro team. It pushed them back into the second wild card spot. So, you know, <laughs> listen, at this point, I'm going to take any win they can give me. Yeah, and, you know, I was a big proponent of the narrative of, you know, the the fact that they lost four or five games on the road trip, that, that's where they finished, right? One and four? Something like was that, it? Yeah. Or one, four, and one. One, four, and one. Whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, like teams are going to go through stretches where you only get three of 12 points. That That happens. Like, the Islanders have been kind of iffy. You know, Carolina went through a rough stretch, even Boston. Like, teams will go through stretches. It was more the way we were, they were losing. And, you know, that's what we talked about at Nauseam last week. So, you know, I, I said that if you look at the standings, like, it wasn't that big of a deal if they were to right the ship now. Now, since basically the last two games, they've made up some decent ground. I just think, that, think they're still in a comfortable spot as long as they, you know, get their ship back on track. But... You know, you look at the defense, and I think you've talked about it a lot, where Travis Sanheim falls under the umbrella of guys that you can't criticize under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. And entering this season, especially given his excellent finish to last year when he ended the, the season on the top pair with Provorov and Scott Gordon kind of gave him the green light, this was an important year for Sanheim because for all intents and purposes, he's the third 
best defenseman on this team. He's meant to be a guy on that second pair to anchor it and really be the best one beyond the top pairing. And he just hasn't been that this season. And you see people, you know, shitting on Braun and Hag and all this, but it's just like, you know, Braun wasn't brought in to, you know, carry Travis Sanheim. Braun was brought in to insulate Sanheim and Gossespierre's pretty much a four or five guy defensive specialist. But then you get guys like Sanheim who are struggling immensely and you can kind of throw Gossespierre in that as well. But the difference is, is that Gossespierre has been relegated to a third line role, not playing any penalty kill. So you don't see it as much. Sanheim is a guy who plays the penalty kill. He plays a decent amount of minutes. I think he plays in between 18 and 21 every single game. So when he fucks up, it's apparent. And they need him to be better, especially now. You know, like on paper, the losing Braun and Gossespierre for the next three weeks, as the news about Gossespierre came out a little over an hour ago, like it shouldn't be this big of a disaster because you have Sanheim and you have uh, Phil Myers, but Myers was an unmitigated disaster in the Carolina game at fault for two of Carolina's first goals. And Sanheim just hasn't been consistent enough. And then, you know, we kind of agreed with this off air when we talked about it yesterday, when we said, aside from Provo and Niskanen, Haig is basically the most reliable guy they have right now. Yeah, in terms of sheer consistency, Haig is the most reliable. You know, he, he's all not all over the board like everybody else is. Sanheim played 22-47 last night in Washington. Looks like he's averaging eh, probably about a little less than 20 minutes over the past couple of weeks. Uh 21, 20, 16, 19, 18, 18, 17, 18, 21. So, you know, he's uh, he's been piling big minutes here. And there was that stretch earlier in the season where he fell down in like five straight games every time somebody got near him. And it's just, yeah, I get he's one of the guys that the analytic darlings really like and, and they don't want to blame him. But it's just, God, how can you watch that game and go, yep, that's Hart's fault. And should he have had him? Were they both soft goals? Yeah. Is it the guy's fault for turning the puck over right in front of Carter Hart? Yeah. So, I don't know. It's one of those things, especially bronze out till probably after the All-Star game. They, it's clear they already miss him. And Gostas Bear, you know, he's out for a couple weeks as well. Not the best time for these uh, uh, injuries to hit the blue line. You know, we It's funny, a couple months ago we were talking about they had eight defensemen. What are they going to do with eight? And now they have lost, you know, three of their guys already. So, going to be an interesting one. Mark Friedman called up in the meantime, made his return to the NHL. It was the second NHL game last night. Didn't really notice him. I heard his name once, and it was late in the second period. I actually had to look up early on to see if he was actually playing or not, because I didn't uh, didn't know for sure. Which, you know, for a defenseman, more often than not, if your name is not heard, you're doing something right, at least not doing anything wrong. And uh, I think that's probably what to expect out of Freeman based on what I've seen with the Phantoms. He's been one of their better skaters, probably their best defenseman other than Andy Walensky. But uh, Walensky has been on IR off and on pretty much all season at this point. So uh, Friedman, I don't know what his ceiling is. I know a lot of people were were talking him up before the season. Everybody wanted him on the roster instead of Sam Rand, which I find comical even to this day. But, uh, you know, Friedman is, hey, you want to get thrown into the fire and hold down the fort, you know, go on this Flyers blue line and, and try and be successful. Well, Friedman played less than 12 minutes last night. And like you said, you didn't hear his name much, but that's a good thing with defensemen. I found that that pair in a really like minor role played well Hagen Friedman 
I thought Haig was really solid on the penalty kill, and you've brought it up. They're really missing Justin Braun in that respect. So the the you know the the whole thing with people pumping Friedman's tires, it, it just it just falls in with you know the Abe Kubels of the world and the Carson Torinskis and may not Torinsky but LeBears and all these guys who they were drafted inside the top three or four rounds over that stretch where the Flyers were just feeding us all this bullshit narrative that all of the prospects are going to be fantastic and they perform decently at the AHL level and then everyone thinks that it's going to translate into the NHL level and we've seen it you know Sanheim Myers they've struggled so I don't really see Friedman being anything more than maybe a tweener. You know, he's 24 years old. You know that you need these guys, and that's fine. And I'm happy that they had a guy like Friedman. I'm kind of surprised that they went with Friedman. But then again, I don't as a call-up option because they signed guys like Gross and Prosser. So I thought maybe they would get a call-up. But I haven't been tracking the HL at all. I just know those guys because especially Prosser had – and it's an extensive career in the NHL, so maybe you could speak to those guys a bit and what they're doing down there. But it's, you know, if Friedman and Hag can just play like that and just fly under the radar in a minor role, like, that's all you can really ask from these guys. And we've been talking about at length, they don't need Hag and Friedman to play above and beyond. They just need Sanheim and Myers to really pull their weight here in the absence of Justin Braun. Yeah, I'm not surprised Friedman was the one that got the call-up. I think it was essentially between him and uh, Walensky uh, who's getting called up. Friedman has been one of their better, more consistent defensemen, and granted that's not saying a whole lot uh, for the Phantoms this season. But uh, I like Chris Bigra. He's always been a personal favorite of mine uh, since way back uh, when he was a prospect with uh, her um, Avalanche, Colorado Avalanche. I always kind of liked him. He missed a significant amount of time this season with a concussion uh, early on. But uh, he's he's back. He's been fine again. Prosser is just a guy at this point. He's been the veteran scratch more often than not. He's one of the rotating captains that gets put in uh, for the AHL. So I'm not surprised either one of them didn't really get called up. I thought it would have been Walensky. I think he would be the next man up if something were to happen there. But uh, right now, Friedman's the guy. Is he going to last? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, is, this, is he an NHLer? I doubt it. Um, and, you know... I think he's going to be protected by the fans until he's not. If he goes sideways pretty quick, then he's going to be the next Robert Haig by the fan base. But, um, oh, speaking of the next Robert Haig, uh, Misha Vorobiev got sent down a couple hours ago. David Kasha makes the return. It's obviously the right move here. David Kasha was great during his first call-up. He's been pretty consistent with the Phantoms this season as well. Vorobiev's been a hot fucking mess since the goddamn Christmas break, especially in the West Coast trip. It was the Anaheim game. He was bad. He's been bad on and off ever since. It's just, you know, Vorobiev is a guy who always looks good with the Phantoms. And I always liked what I saw out of him in the Phantoms, especially on the penalty kill. And then he comes up and he's nothing. You know, he just can't get his shit together at the NHL, and some guys can't. You know, I talked about Abe Kubel, he was a guy who was having a rough season with the Phantoms, and really has been about a rough year uh, with with the Phantoms for Abe Kubel. And he comes up, and he's been, you know, arguably the Flyers' best player, if not most energetic player, since he's called up. So, say, so, you know, some players just don't make it at the NHL. I would assume this would be the last time we see Vorobiev in a Flyers uniform. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to resign after this year. Um, I 
maybe he gets recalled. I would assume he's still the swing guy because I don't think they trust Frost. But, you know, um, I don't know. I don't think we're going to see much more of Robiev, which is unfortunate because I always liked the kid, but uh, he just can't hang in the NHL. Kasha looked good, and hopefully he can uh, keep that momentum up during a second call-up. Yeah, I, I think Vorobiev hung as long as he did with the Flyers just because they're just so depleted at center. Yeah. And they wanted to keep Lawton on the wing, where I think it's become so apparent now that they Lawton's more of a winger unless he's playing on the fourth line. But you assume now that Lawton's just going to slide to the middle and he's going to center Farabee and Kasha. I think it's the right move because they were just getting killed. Um by Vorobiev. I found he played a bit better the last two games, but ultimately this is the right move. But it, it just kind of goes to a testament that Vigneault is really out of options here with his line combinations and forwards. And for all intents and purposes, the Flyers are fully healthy for this season because Limblom's not coming back. And in my mind, Nolan Patrick's not coming back. So this is, you know, the Flyers' best roster you know there's no quote-unquote no guys that are going to be on their way back from injury and you're kind of trying to find a stick at fourth line center pretty much because raffle has become pretty much your third line center which is not ideal in any case so i I mean i I think fletcher has to go get us another centerman even if it's not a big name like jean gabriel pajot I think that you just have to to give this team a fighting chance and give Vigneault a chance. But it's just a lot of guys that the Flyers are using right now that they they bring like a lot of energy, but there's just nothing a lot in the form of offense. Like you get Pitlick and Abe Kubel, even though he scored a couple goals, and David Kasha now and Scott Lawton, that they bring energy, they play well. You could also lump Farabee into this mix. They're serviceable but they're just doing nothing to move the needle offensively. So I, I think that sooner rather than later, it'd be good for Fletcher to, you know, test the free agent, uh, not free agent, the trade market. It doesn't have to be a home run de- deal, but like even if you were to get a guy like Nemesnikov or Tierney out of Ottawa, I think that that kind of deal would go a long way here just to give Alain Vigneault, who for some reason has been the subject to a lot of criticism and blame lately, but I think you'll just give him a better opportunity to, you know, flip these lines around here. Yeah, they definitely need help. And I believe you were alluding to this on Twitter earlier today about the lack of scoring from their top guys. And this has been the storyline throughout the season, and quite frankly, for quite a few years now. You know, the fact that their top guys, you know, Couturier, Giroux, uh, you know, aren't getting it done on the regular basis for a check. Kevin Hayes, Konechny, you know, they're all not scoring with any kind of super regularity. Um, Konechny has been better lately. Hayes seems to be uh, getting out of his funk. I believe Voracek just had a whole shit ton of assists on the road trip, which is kind of hard to believe. But, you know, they're not getting it done, and thus people go, oh, well, it's the depth's fault that they're not scoring. Well, it's the top guy's fault they're not scoring, and, you know, the, the depth is not off the hook here. But, you know, these aren't players that have long resumes of scoring goals. You know, I, I like them all individually in terms of what they bring, but it comes down to them being able to be, you know, all together. When you put them out there together, they just can't quite uh, connect and get it done. You know, Pitlick's had a couple goals this year. Ravel, Lawton, you know, all those guys as well. So, I don't know. It's a bottom six that just isn't quite good enough, and your top six isn't scoring enough, and it's just a weird little mix here where they need – you know, if they need a spark, 
Uh, it would be nice to get a big top guy, but given their cap situation, it's not going to happen. They are going to have to turn to guys like Peugeot or, or, or somebody along that caliber to get them some help at the trade deadline, uh, especially for depth scoring. Yeah, well, the tweet that you alluded to, I was pointing out that, you know, JVR is on, on pace for 43 points, Giroud's on pace for 58 points, and Vorchek for 63. And then you have one guy say, well, you know, the whole team offense is down. So it makes sense that they're um, that those numbers are down. I'm just like, yo, jackass, like they're they make twenty three million dollars a year. If the top guys aren't pulling their weight, which they're paid to do, it's going to be a trickle down effect. Like we've said, like we've heard it all season long, like JPR has all these prime scoring opportunities and expected goals for. Well, if he's not burying them and we know that people are just setting him up in the crease, obviously that's going to drag the offense down. You know, if those guys were scoring like we're accustomed to and Voracek was on pace for high 70s and Giroud was on pace for the 80s and even Van Riemsdyk was scoring with some form of regularity, this wouldn't be such a talking point and the depth wouldn't be a big issue. You know, I pointed out last week about how the Boston Bruins are carried by their three top guys. They don't rely on the Anders Bjorks or the Wagners or the Sean Corrales of the world to drag them through the mud. It's really about the top guys. I'm not saying that the Flyers' depth is fantastic. Obviously, it's not. And you've seen them missing, you know, Oscar Lindblom. And they are lacking uh, a depth centerman on this team. But it really comes down to the fact that the top guys aren't scoring enough. And even Claude Giroux, where I think it was, I forget, maybe Bobby Thomas. I forget who brought up one of your last shows that, like, he can't be immune from criticism. You know, he's a guy that is supposed to drive the offense, but, you know, he can't play away from Sean Couturier. He has to be playing on the wing, and it's really hampered this team that he hasn't been able to bring other guys up. Yeah, it, it's just it starts from the top as far as I'm concerned when it comes to scoring. When your top guys aren't getting it done, you can't sit here and go, oh, well, it's Tyler Pitlick's fault they're not scoring. You know, it is the top guys, and Voracek, is he had a whole, what seven assists in his last couple of games or something like that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven assists since they came back from the break. So, that, you know, he, he's putting up numbers, and unfortunately, all those games went to waste. But uh, you know, it is what it is. These top guys aren't getting done. It's been a thing all year. This is something they need to address in the offseason. And I brought this up earlier in the week on on Brotherly Pod. You know, no matter what the outcome is this season, whether they miss the playoffs or they make it and they get eradicated in the first round or they make it all the way to the, you know, the cup final, you can't go in the next season with this core. You just can't. You know, the need moves need to be made. You got to bring people in here that can mesh and you know, especially for guys like Frost and Faraby. Find them guys that can, you know, you know, elevate them and make them better players cuz I just don't think this core is doing it. I think it was Bobby Thomas who said like he he's he's just done with the Flyers. He's done with this core, you know, the the group that has been here forever. And I feel the same way. You know, I mean the, the same thing we've been talking about today is the same thing I've been yelling about for at least the last calendar year, if not the last 5 years. You know, so it's clear changes need to be made. It starts at the top, and their top guys aren't getting it done on a consistent basis. And it's just, it's been the main problem of this team for years. You know, I was happy that Fletcher didn't come in and blow it all to fucking shreds when he when he first arrived. Like, a lot of people just wanted him to, you know, get rid of Giroux and Voracek and all that. But 
I think it was important for him to go get good, solid depth players, which the Flyers have been missing ever since Ron Hextall took over up until he was fired, and give these guys an opportunity to succeed with good insulation on the back end with Niskanen and Braun, you know, a good, solid second-line center in Kevin Hayes, even a good depth guy like Tyler Pitlick, who I have liked what he's brought to the team, nothing more than, you know, a third, fourth-line winger, but I've liked it. But he brought in all these guys, and for me, he's really hit on all four of those guys that he brought in, but... They're, the top guys aren't getting it done. Maybe if these kind of moves were made in 2017-18, when Giroux and Voracek and Gostisbehere had all those career years, maybe things would be looking a lot different. And, you know, I'm not going to hang it all on Giroux and Voracek. I think they've played pretty well in all other areas of the game for the most part. You know, obviously Voracek hasn't gotten dealt the best hand as of late, playing with Roffel and Pitlick, who are pretty much ideally fourth-line guys. But it just comes down to the fact that I don't think it's going to swing upwards. You know, there was a time when Voracek and Giroux kind of dipped and then they came right back up two years ago and had those career years and had decent seasons last year. But I don't think that they're going to turn around. So I think you're right that no matter what the outcome is of this year, we've seen enough that the Flyers need to make a change. You need a fresh face, just anything because the players they brought in are good. So the young guys look promising, but they just can't keep relying on these overpaid veterans at this point in their career to bring them to you know that next step because I just don't think the timeline is going to line up properly. Yeah. It's obviously something that's going to need to change. And, and again, I have full faith in Chuck Fletcher when it comes to this kind of stuff. I think he did absolutely the right move with all four players he brought in. Um, right now, it's just a matter of, you know, he gave this core the best opportunity possible. And they didn't didn't react. So, you know, again, this will be things that will play over the next, you know, six, seven months as the summer rolls around. We'll figure more about that. But... Let's talk about some more recent news. Igor Zumala will miss three, four months after an injury. Leads us to our prospect report, TSN Prospects. Uh, new article out today, top 50. Only Frost is there at 33. So, maybe some of the prospect gurus on Flyers Twitter don't know what they're talking about after all, huh? Oh, my God. I was. It was strangely <laughs> satisfying to see the Flyers only have one guy there. And you can argue that Prost is Prost, Frost is a borderline prospect at this point because he's played, what, 20 games in the NHL, and he probably will be back up sooner rather than later. But it just goes to show that all these prospect gurus like Dan Silver, who say, like, Igor Zamula is a top parent in the making, and Bobby Brink is going to do that, and Cam York is this – and whoever else second round pick is that like this is done by professionals by a guy Craig Button who worked in numerous front offices in the NHL and it's not just Craig Button you know he has the likes of Bob McKenzie and Ray Ferraro helping him out here and the 50 best prospects currently already drafted one flyer makes it at number 33 and that should tell you something that all these guys like there's a reason why Igor Zambula got passed over in the draft, and I'm not saying that he's not going to be good. I'm sure he'll be a serviceable, you know, three, maybe four, five defenseman one day. But, like, 
to say that, oh, he's destined for stardom because he had a good two weeks showing in the World Juniors. Like, come on. Like, we, we've talked about it at length about the World Juniors. Curtis Lazar was the captain of Team Canada when Car McDavid is there. Where's Curtis Lazar now? You know, it's just people don't know how to put things into perspective. They think because a guy is dominating his respective junior league that it's going to translate to the NHL when it's just like, dude, any player drafted inside the top three of, you know, of the entry draft of the top three rounds, I should say, is going to dominate his respective leagues. But when you come to the show and you get to the NHL, it's a completely different game. And oftentimes players who are offensive threats and juniors have to just become serviceable bottom guys. Like Scott Lund's a prime example. We've seen it with Robert Haig, who was apparently an offensive guy when he got drafted, and he had to switch his game when he got here. It happens all the time. And I'm not, you know, this article doesn't mean that guys like York and Brink and Zamula won't be good because I'm sure they will become NHL players one day. But it really puts it into perspective that it, it isn't just the Flyers who have drafted well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. This is one of those things that like, I don't like talking prospects for pretty much everything you're listed is no matter how good they are in their respective junior leagues, the chance they make the jump and do that at the NHL are so beyond slim, you know, with the exception of Connor McDavid. I mean, who has been able to transfer their game that they did there? As Frost is a guy who's scoring, you know, four goals a night in junior, and and like he just he's just not there yet. And Zamula, and so especially Zamula, because we've seen it now with multiple defensemen. We saw it with Sanheim, and we saw it with Myers. You know. There's a reason guys like Eric Carlson and Brent Burns are unique and are different and are valued as high as they are is because very, very, very few players, especially defensemen, can make the leap and put up, you know, 20 goals, 60 plus points, you know, up to 80 points every season. And when you're led to believe that guys like Sanheim can do it because he had good juniors or Phil Myers can do it because he had good juniors. And then they come to the NHL and... They're not bad, but they're certainly not, you know, elite defensemen, you know, offensive defensemen either. It just, I, I don't have a lot of, I don't want to say hope for Zamula, but, you know, the fact that people blow so much smoke up this kid's ass and he's going to come into the NHL, you know, possibly even next season if he makes the team out of camp, which I doubt he will. But, you know, it's just people, I just, I don't believe all the hype, especially for an offensive defenseman, because those are the hardest to make the transitions here. So it's, it's nice that he's playing well. It's great to see. But at the end of the day, it just... You know, if it's not happening in the NHL, then it doesn't matter to me because more often than not, these players just can't transfer their style of game over to the majors. Well, and it's just this classic thing of overhyping prospects, and we saw it ever since Ron Hextall came in. And you know what? I I was um, a culprit of it as well because for all those years, basically from 2014 to 2017, 18. That's all that we were sold on. Like, okay, we're bad now, but all these kids are going to be amazing. And I remember people in 2016 were saying like, oh, you wait till 2020 and we're going to have <laughs> Provorov and Sanheim and Myers and Haig and Gossespierre all on the team. And look, they're here. Like, what's so great about it? And look, I'm going to give Sanheim and Myers more time because usually the benchmark for what an NHL defenseman is is around 300 games. 
you know, Provorov has played 290, and I think he pretty much is what he's going to be, a solid number one guy, and great on him. He's the only defenseman that really came as advertised. But Gossespierre, I think this is what he is, just a third-pairing D who probably in a new setting, if he's ever traded, will, you know, become a 40, 45-point guy, but nothing more than a third-pairing guy. And you know what? Sanheim and Myers, like, do I think they'll improve eventually and be solid second-pair D? Probably. But it was just all of this hype that they were going to have, like, three first-pairing guys, three first-pairs. You know, every defenseman was going to be a first-pairing D. And we saw that with Silver, where he said, Provorov, Sanheim, Zamula, York, and Myers all have first-pairing potential. You know, what team in the history of the NHL drafted five guys who translate to the first, like, who translate into first-pairing D? And I know he's just saying potential, but... How are you basing this off of? Like, Provorov is a first-pairing D, so okay, but Sanheim and Myers? You know, maybe Myers, because he has the skill and the raw t- and the um, and the raw talent and the size, maybe I could see that, but Sanheim, I don't think he's ever going to be a first-pairing D. Zamula, and, Zamula and, Br- and York, we haven't seen them play a game of professional hockey yet. How could you say that? York was the seventh defenseman on Team USA. And it's like, why can't you just temper your expectations? Like Bobby Brink, there's a toe drag in the NCAA and scores, and they're just like, oh, yeah, this kid was a steal in the second round. Okay, yeah, but was he? Like, I'm not saying the kid's bad, but there's, like, a reason why he was projected to go between 25 and 35. It's like, yes, guys who are drafted inside the top 90 of their draft class are going to dominate their respective leagues, but that's why they were drafted there. Do you know how many players play here? The top 90 are the elite of that company. But then when they get lumped into the NHL players, they just become guys more times than not. The only player, aside from Provorov, because he was drafted in the top 10 of a loaded draft in 2015, where pretty much all guys not named uh, Pavel Zaka lived up to their potential from that the top 10 of that year but the only guy that the Flyers drafted late who really kind of shocked us and lived up to the hype was Konechny aside from that Sanheim you know Rubsov who else like Frost like Frost has more time but it's just I don't know why people set themselves up for disappointment and don't just look at it from a league-wide view well they don't set themselves up for disappointment because they just don't criticize the players that they like when they get to the NHL, a.k.a. Travis Sanheim causing multiple goals last season and falling down for five straight games earlier in the year. That guy's been immune to this kind of shit. And it's funny that they use the term sample size with Travis Sanheim. He's played 175 games. Robert Haig, who they've determined is never going to be an NHL player and he sucks beyond belief, he's played 178. So why doesn't Robert (laughs) Haig's fucking sample size, why can't he become, you know, the next Chris Prong or stay-at-home defenseman that can do a little bit of everything? He's still got time. It's a sample size, right? You fucking shitheads. I hate prospects. Well, and it's like, fuck, like, I'm not, like, you have to draft, and I'm sure prospects every once in a while, but, like, it's even Abe Kubel. Like, how many times have I seen people saying just, like, oh, my God, this guy's going to be a great bottom six winger one day? Like, okay, I'm sure he is, and I like Abe Kubel, but why are we blowing so much smoke off up this kid's ass? Why? Because he's 23 and was drafted in the third round or second round in that time frame of 2014 to 2018. And it's like, don't get me wrong, I love Albe Kubel, but I'm not going to pump the tires of a guy who's going to be a bottom six energy player. 
Like, sorry, we need, and I think it was Bobby Thomas who said it on one of your shows, that they haven't taken a guy who, like, maybe had a bit of risk but had a high offensive upside. The Flyers just drafted a bunch of safe players. Like, we saw it with German Rubsov. And, like, okay, granted, in 2016, the Flyers didn't have a lot of center depth uh, in their farm system. But, Jesus Christ, like, even, like, there was no versatility to who they drafted. Like, now maybe it's a bit different but because they took Bobby Brink this year. But it's, like, I'm not going to pump the tires of an Albay Kubel because he came up and and looks like he'll be a good energy guy. You know, I'm, I'll, like, uh, you know, I'll get really excited when I see a guy come to the AHL right out of juniors and he lights it up for, like, an extended amount of time. Maybe Frost is that guy. I don't know how he's done since he's gone back to Lehigh Valley. But, like, you got to stop just getting so, like, excited and horny from seeing a guy doing well in the OHL. Yeah, I have not been to the Phantoms. They've been up in their uh, Canada road trip, I believe, since Frost has gotten back. I've not been down there yet. But considering I haven't seen any highlight reels, I guess he's not doing a whole lot. Uh, nobody's uh, been plastering my timeline with uh, highlight reels. But, I mean, Farabee did it, but he was only down there for two weeks or whatever it was. You know, <laughs> He only played a couple games where he came down there and looked fucking heads and tails of everybody. You know, Myers, Myers and Farabee were the only two people down there this season that clearly didn't belong. You know, Myers is so goddamn good. When he was down there for, you know, after uh, after they came back from Europe, I mean, he was tearing it up until his recall, and Farabee was much the same. Frost is just, <laughs> I don't know. Frost is a guy that everybody wants called back up, and I was just fucking, I, I get you don't want Vrobiev on the team. I get it. But that doesn't mean you just throw in one of your top prospects who's not ready just because you don't want Barobiev. And I think that's what it is. Go, oh, well, the team looked faster when he was here. And oh, the, but he was producing offense. It's one guy. Look at the fucking blowout losses they've been handed lately. Would they have won the game if Frost played against the Coyotes? Probably not. Would he have been the difference against Carolina? Probably not. You know, would he have been the heir to add an extra goal in the Capitals game? Probably not. Like, the guy was nothing special. I think people just need to get that through their fucking heads. Like I said, five years from now, Frost and Farabee are probably both going to be good little NHL players, and we won't even remember their early struggles. But until then, development is fine. Frost belongs in the AHL. Uh, You know, it's fine. I believe... I don't think I have a game this weekend. I think we'll go next weekend. But, you know, I don't know. This is just something that... uh, irks me beyond belief for the people that that build up these prospects and think that they could just play the game. I think it's fans that rely heavily on on YouTube highlight reels and have played one too many games of NHL 20 where reality doesn't matter and you can just have everybody on your team that you want. But, um, I don't know. For only one prospect, like, <laughs> you were right in a way. It's kind of nice to see that there's only one because it means that we're right, but at the same time, you know, as an organization, it's kind of like, nah, there's only one. But, you know, it is what it is. I, I think, again, in time, Frost will be good. In time, they'll probably all be good. But um, for right now, it, it just it just what it is. Maybe Zoom will be great. Maybe he'll be another Travis Sanheim who can't fucking stand on both feet. But right now, I'm done buying into prospects, and I want to win now. I'm tired of relying on YouTube highlight reels to feel happy. Because, like, now the trade deadline's coming up, and, like, I'm really, really hoping that they do something. And like I said, they're probably not going to go get a superstar. But like, even if like, even like to shift away from prospects here, like I, 
I want the team to have a bit of balls, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why we've seen, like, Stewart's been on this team because he's brought something in the locker room. But I would – and I'm going to say this right now. I don't think Stewart's an NHL player. Like, and you can see it that more times than not, he plays, what, one out of every six games? Something and like he's that. literally yeah. – he, he's he's a guy. He's a locker room guy to fill in as an eighth defenseman in practice, which is fine. That's what you need of a thirteenth forward. Even though people would rather have prospect X be a thirteenth forward, but it's I would like even like a guy like Kyle Clifford who can skate a regular fourth line shift and bang some boys around. Like I saw a lot of people talking about it, how like the Flyers have no pushback. Like there was even some rough stuff going on yesterday with the Capitals. I'm just like, please don't start go down this avenue. The Capitals are going to massacre the Flyers if you go down, like, a rough shot road. But it's like everyone's just like, oh, well, no, you can't add that guy because then it will push Kasha out of the lineup. And it's just like, who the fuck cares, man? Like, everyone is, like, so obsessed with upside. Upside, 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 upside. And and I get it to an extent. And a lot of people have said, like, now that Frost has gone down, that we saw him saying, like, well, I don't care if we lose with him. I just want to lose with the best lineup mm-hmm. available. Yeah, I heard that. And it's lot just too. like, it's just like, wh- how is that the best lineup available? Like, I, I, I don't understand the obsession with a guy who scored a lot in junior and then he automatically makes the lineup better. And I don't think having Frost up here and hampering his development is, you know, worth doing that just so the team could be marginally better. Um, I just look at this team. You like, have you not gotten your fill of prospects yet? Like, you have Myers, you have Provo, you have Sanheim, you have Konechny, you have Farabee. Like, why would it hurt if they go out and add veterans? And I know that's a taboo in today's NHL. Everyone just wants prospects and homegrown talent. But what would be the problem with adding a guy like you? Like, half this team is homegrown talent. Like, it's time to go out and add here and try and make something to be, make the team better now. It has to be more than half the team is homegrown talent. Jesus, let's see here. But, like, I, I just rifled off, I'll make off the top. I'll Couturier, Farabee, Giroux, Konechny, Lawton, Lindblom. I guess Raffle technically was. It was his first NHL team. Van Riemsdyk was. Uh, Robiev. Friedman, Ghost, Haig, Moran, Myers, Provorov, Sanheim, and Hart. That's like three-fourths of the team. But Yeah, and you know what? Vorobiev is a perfect example of where, you know, Dan, you've said so many times, like they clamor for a prospect, he shows up, he's nothing special, and then it's on to the next one. Yep. Do you remember the summer of 2018 where Hextall where was just like, nope, Vorobiev, he's the third line center. You know, we're not going to do anything to, you know, prepare if he's not ready. And people were going nuts over this guy. And he had a good preseason, and we've seen it now. This year, that preseason means fuck all. Like, look at Connor Bunneman. I haven't even heard the guy's name since he got sent back down after starting the season with the with the Flyers. And it's just like now Vorobiev shit. And like, oh, Carson Torinsky, oh, he's not the prospect we wanted. Like it's they're so specific who with who they want to be on the team. And I don't even know how they narrow it down. Yeah. <laughs> Vorobiev, like I really like Vorobiev's AHL game. He always impresses me when he plays down there. And then he gets called up and just forgets how to play hockey. But 
yeah, it's just, it's on on to the next one, you know, and Kasha's going to get called up. And now <laughs> it worries me that I'll be Kabel and Kasha up. All it takes is a couple games slide for them, and we're going to go back to fucking, I don't know who else is, Rubsov. We're going to call Rubsov back up. Tear him apart in a couple weeks, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I always like the excuse you kind of brought it up. Oh, you know, I want Frost playing because I want to lose with the best team possible. It's like, what does that even mean? You would rather have Frost on your fourth line playing eight minutes a night in place of Vorobiev. Risking his development just so you can say, well, we tried when we got blown out of the water 6-2 to by the Coyotes. Like, that right there, that is one too many games of NHL 20. When it just doesn't matter when you put fucking prospects on your team and, you know, you, they get experience that way. That That's what that is a case of right there. It's just fucking, these are people! They're not robots! <laughs> you know, they, they develop, they take time, they... Uh, uh, God. I feel like I shouldn't have to be explaining this, but here we the fuck are. I, just, I don't get it. Frost being down is absolutely the right move. Robiev sitting up as the fourth line. Yeah, he's fucking ruining everything. But at the end of the day, Frost would be marginally better. But do you really want your top prospect playing eight minutes a night just so you can say that he's on the roster? If he was on the fourth line, Frost was setting the fourth line, and he's partnered with Roffel and Stewart, you're telling me you're going to sit there and be happy about it? I don't think so. So... I don't know. Frost being down is the right move. I, I hate that I even have to have this conversation every fucking week with everybody on Twitter. You fucking idiots. But yeah, it's, I don't know. God damn it. But but it's even like Farabee. And I, I think Farabee is an NHL player. Like, I think he's good enough to hang. But you can't tell me that in an ideal world, he wouldn't be in the no, NHL. Absolutely. Because, again, he can hang, okay? He can penalty kill, but is that why the what the Flyers were hoping for when they drafted him? Is that what people were hoping for? Like, for God's sakes, I don't even remember the last time Farabee was involved in, like, a goal or an offensive chance. Like, it's great that he started throwing hits and got suspended and fought and is good on the penalty kill, but to me, it's alarming that you brought up a guy, Farabee, and he's just been lost in the shuffle. He's not. He's just a guy, and he's basically a non-factor offensively. That's not why they drafted Joel Farabee. That's not why Joel Farabee was hyped. We don't need just another Abe Kubel or a Scott Lawton. They need a guy who can fill the shoes of Giroux and Voracek, especially now. And again, I'm not saying that he won't be that one day, but you see this happen all the time with players that – they get rushed in the NHL a bit too early just because they can play serviceable minutes, and then they learn to play that way as a middle six energy guy. And that's not what they need from Farabee, and that's certainly not what they need from Frost, especially their lack of organizational depth at center. So that's when I say, like, if you went out and got a guy like maybe not Clifford because he's a strict fourth liner, but just an everyday middle six guy, like, I don't know, just off the top of my head, like an Alexander Venberg something of that lines, and he were to take a shift from Farabee, and even Farabee goes back to the AHL, it's not the end of the world, because for me, keeping Farabee up here just to play serviceable minutes and PK minutes, I'd rather have a, a veteran do that and not hamper his development. Yeah, his last assist was December 23rd against the Rangers. His last goal was December 3rd against Toronto, and since December 30, he has one goal and two assists total. And a minus, Jesus, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
two, five, yeah, what's about a six maybe total? I don't know. Can't do math. But uh, it doesn't matter, Dan, remember. You know what? I'm glad you brought that the fuck up. I saw somebody today on Twitter go, oh, Phil Myers is a plus 10, which first and foremost, how the fuck is that even possible? It was one of these fucking analytic guys. Oh, Phil Myers is a plus 10 and Justin Braun is a minus 10. And I'm like, hold the fuck up. Plus minus is one of those stats that nobody claims to care about unless it backs the narrative that you're trying to push, in which case we're going to go for it. I've seen that happen a couple times. I forget who the hell. I think Kevin Fortier has pulled that out a couple times too, the plus minus thing. If it fucking backs the narrative they're trying to push, they're doing it. How the hell, first and foremost, is Phil Myers a plus 10? How has he gotten that good? But like, fucking plus minus. It's one of those things that doesn't matter unless it backs the narrative you're trying to push, in which case it matters all the way. I fucking hate that shit. God, I can't believe you brought that up. <laughs> well, like, plus minus, like, for I don't know. How, how do I put this? If you're in between plus 10 and minus 10, I don't put too much stock into it. Right. Like, if you fluctuate in there. But, like, when it starts to get to, like, an extreme rating, that's when I start to look at it. And what's brawn like minus 12 or something he something along those lines minus 10 right now okay like brawn i think is playing a bit over his head and that's when he gets exposed because he's had to play with like carry sanheim all the time and shane goss's beer can't play like regular defensive minutes and myers has been so up and down and in an ideal role, you would want Braun playing the fifth and most amount of mids on the team and Goss the most amount of minutes. So Braun, I, I think you're seeing it now that Myers has had to play his type of minutes, why he's there. And that, you know, he, he's, uh, it, I, there's a term for these defensemen, I'm losing it now, but there are some defensemen that the, the positions they play and the role they play in the lineup that they're going to look bad no matter how good they are. It's just who looks the least bad. And Braun is the guy who just eats hard minutes. And I see all these analytics guys who just pull out these stats, and like I, I feel like I always bring him up, but Appleyard, like, all he does is bring up these stats. Like He tried to push the other day, and I, I think I linked the tweet to you in a, in a message on Twitter, saying, like, it's all the goaltending's fault. Mm. This is the biggest culprit. And it's like, they haven't been good, but you're basically trying to say that it's their fault that they're winning. And people even tried to blame Elliot for the loss against Carolina, where I'm just like, are you kidding me? Any other goalie, my grandmother could have been in the Carolina net <laughs> and she probably could have made more saves than Reimer. I, I just, I don't understand. It's because people for some reason just refuse to just watch the game and formulate their own opinion. It's like everything has to be based off of a stat. Yeah. I've always said that I don't believe people actually watch the games. And like the more we, the more I dive into this shit and the more dumb opinions I see on Twitter, I'm convinced most of these people don't actually watch the Flyers games. Cause what I see versus what people say is two completely different fucking things. And I've watched every minute of Flyers hockey this season. And I've been watching every fucking minute of Flyers hockey for 20 years now. So, I don't know. It's fucking analytics. That's a whole different argument that I don't really want to dig into today. But yeah, plus minus is dumb. Justin Braun, minus 10. Kevin Hayes, minus 9. Stewart and Roffel, each minus 7. The opposite end of the spectrum, Phil Myers is a plus 14. How the fuck is that even possible? Sean Couturier, plus 11. Giroux, plus 9. Voracek, plus 7. Everybody else, somewhere between... Uh, plus three and minus five. So 
Nobody too outstanding one way or the other here for the Flyers, except Phil Myers, which is baffling. How the fuck is he a plus 14? Well, one thing before we close out here that I want to bring up yeah. is James Van Riemsdyk. Ah, do we have to? And, <laughs> and, you know, it seems as though that since the Christmas break, I've even seen less of the defenders for him because I guess he's not getting as many expected goals for in fairytale land. <laughs> so, like, it seems like with Van Riemsdyk, it's coming to a head. And for my, for, in my opinion, he's the single biggest problem on this team right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. A single biggest fucking waste of $7 million I've ever seen. And when he had that fucking stretch before Christmas, when he had the back-to-back two-goal games, and, oh, I told you so, Daniel, I told you so, my analytics told me he was going to break out. Well, he's gone pointless in one, two, three, four, five, six, his last seven he's gone pointless. Hasn't had a goal in his last nine, minus six in that time. He was only played 11-20 last night. Uh, against the Capitals, you're seeing looks like around 15 minutes is his average. Yeah, I uh, I am not a fan of James and Reams-Dyke at all. I've ranted about him pretty much every single episode on every single show I've done because I can't stand the guy. I can't stand that people back him up. I had somebody last night. No, you know what? It was the Carolina game. Our friend Nick Costa, he said, oh, I haven't seen uh, JVR do anything since the Christmas break and I tweeted it and said I haven't seen him do anything all season and somebody replied to it it was the same guy that got to you about the team scoring today and he <laughs> and he goes well JVR has 12 goals and I'm like fuck off why is that the thing all the time like oh my god the, the rules are different for every single player in terms of what they do and Van Riemsdyk fucking god bless him he's in the palm of everybody's hand because he has 12 goals because he can score a whole bunch of goals in a short amount of time, they go completely blank. But nobody matters about the blank stuff. Only matters when you positives. 12 goals, 23 points for Van Riemsdyk. 24 would be less than... Jesus, when the last time he scored 24 goals in a non-injured or lockout season? 2010? 2010-11? 46 points? I put it on Twitter today that he's on pace for his lowest season point total in any season that he's played at least 75 games since 2010-11. Yeah, that's what it looks like here. There was the lockout like, year and his injury year a couple years back. But other than that, this is a... But it's like, he's a guy, and like, okay, I have... I'm also a culprit that, like, I base expectations off of a, a lot of it onto how much you take up of the salary cap. Like, I'm just a guy who, like, I tie your AAV a lot to what I expect from you. It also depends on what position you play. But... Like, when I look at James Van Riemsdyk making $7 million a year, and he doesn't kill penalties, and he's been ineffective on the power play, and he's not physical, and he doesn't pass well, and he doesn't... Like, the only way he can be valuable is if he scores goals. And, you know, we've said it. Like, all of his goals are usually banked off of someone or off of him when he's not looking and from within a five-foot radius from the net. But you know what? If he's scoring consistently, I don't care. He can do a diving headbutt into the net for all I care. <laughs> but he doesn't score consistently. And when he is scoring, it's usually based off someone else's hard work. And that's my grief with Fenrir's. Like, I don't care that his shot suppression is good that's not what he makes seven million dollars a year for but then i see some people like oh yeah but you're okay with kevin hayes playing getting paid that much okay first of all kevin hayes is a center 
something that the Flyers don't have a lot of at all. If they didn't have Kevin Hayes on this team, they would have the worst center depth in the NHL. It would be a complete disaster. He has more goals than JVR. He's a rock star on the penalty kill. Like, don't give me that. Like, when you're, like, JVR does absolutely nothing. And I think he got benched last night in favor of Scott Lawton. I think Lawton moved up with Hayes. And what JVR has done is that he's another guy making a lot of million, uh, a lot of money that has to be strategically placed in the lineup and has hampered L.A. Vigneault's ability to shift around the lines. You know, Lawton and Hayes had so much chemistry, but now just by necessity, they had to shackle JVR to Hayes so he could be somewhat productive and have a guy drag him through the mud. JVR has been so useless, I would pay money for them to get rid of him. I like even if they had to dump him for like a guy like Alex Wenberg who's been dog shit for the last 2 years, just a guy who could play center with not a lot of quote upside. They just need him to just gain the extra cap space would be worth it. I'm so done with this guy. He's done nothing for me to believe that he can come out of it. It's just he's completely 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 hampering this team. Just just fucking utterly useless. It's just, but Daniel, he's good defensively. Ah, fuck you. He's not even good defensively anymore. He's just, he's fucking lingering to this team. Useless, useless, useless player. The most expensive garbage man in the fucking history of this sport. And he can't even do it on a regular basis. So he needs to go. It's a Hartnell for Umberger type move where you just got to move the guy to get rid of his fucking contract. Even if you're taking dog shit back, you know, and I, I think that's, like I said, that that would be my biggest move if I was Chuck Fletcher over the summer. I think there's your root of all evil. I don't care if you fucking don't even replace the guy with anybody. Just bring him in and, and or get rid of him rather, and you know bring somebody else in, free agent, let one of your own guys like Kasha take the fucking spot for all I care because he can't be worse than James and Reamsdyke. I hate this guy. I fucking hate James and Reamsdyke, and I hate <laughs> the people that back the guy up because he's fucking awful. Just out of curiosity, obviously this deal would never happen, but. Would you trade him at this deadline, if you had the opportunity to make this deal, would you trade him one for one for Wayne Simmons? Oh, in a heartbeat. (laughs) Because I would rather have Simmons bring the, you know, the death word intangibles to the lineup, bring back leadership, and then at least you have $7 million to play with in free agency this summer because JVR is gone. In a heartbeat. I mean, they produce about the same amount of offense, which isn't a whole fucking lot. You're going to have somebody that has a little bit of physicality left in him, and you get rid of that fucking cap hit for, what, three more years uh, JVR is signed. And you don't have to wait for Seattle to come around. God, that'd be great. Well, everyone is just, like, banking on Seattle to take Voracek or JVR. And, like, Voracek I don't put quite into the same category as JVR because – I don't think Vorchek's a guy that you can afford to just get rid of for nothing because he is a guy that, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but analytics do kind of support him in a way and do back the eye test where he's not worth $8 million a year because he doesn't score enough consistently and he isn't impactful enough, but he is a guy that, you know, he, he brings a lot to the table. He carries the puck extremely well. He's a, he's a master at bringing the puck from blue line to blue line. You know, he's a decent passer. He had a really good pass uh, to Gossespierre in, uh, in, against Carolina, I think. But, like, I, I just – Voracek's not a guy that I'd be willing to give up for absolutely nothing, at least not right now with what the Flyers have on the roster. 
Yeah, JVR is certainly past Voracek and my least favorite file, least fl- least favorite flyer category. Easy for me to say. Yeah, at least Voracek brings <laughs> something to the table, whereas JVR brings absolutely nothing. But uh, yeah, the Flyers return Saturday night to face the Lightning. Lord help us all. Then play the Bruins on Monday before heading back out on the road to St. Louis. That is a daunting next three games, facing three of the better teams in the league. You know, Flyers are known to kind of step up to their competition. They do have some fire back in them after beating the Capitals. How do you think these next three games go? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> like, it's so hard because I've been one of the more optimistic guys this season, you know, but it's it's tough, man. Like, I can't see them going more than 500, to be honest, but they have, what, three games so, like, I, I don't see them beating Tampa Bay. I just, Tampa Bay's rocking and rolling right now. Uh, they've had pretty good success historically over the last few seasons against St. Louis, and they've matched up pretty well against Boston. So, I, I could see them coming away with two wins out of here. Uh, like, it wouldn't shock me. But I'm at the point with the Flyers where, like, I could see them winning two wins, but if they get blown out three consecutive times, it wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. Yeah, I think you're uh, pretty spot on there. I think there's always a chance this team wins, but I'm hesitant to put my eggs back in the Flyers' basket here after this fucking disaster of a road trip. They didn't exactly win in convincing manner over the Capitals either, so I hope I hope they don't get blown out. I'm so tired of watching the Flyers lose. I hope they at least put up a fight if they're going to lose these games, but, I mean, this is going to be... This is a trial period for them. This is going to be a very big three games. But, um, yeah, we'll wait and see here. Uh, fuck. I hope they don't lose. <laughs> you know what? If they they like people who were crying that they were out of the playoff mix and all this, like you you see it now. They've gained three points in the last two games, and they're still relatively comfortable as long as they keep their head above water. But this is the problem: is that you blew, you wasted all of your breathing room that you you built up pre Christmas break. That now you can't afford to only get two out of six points against these three teams. If they come away with four points at least from these three games, it will. I think it will just keep them in this playoff position. But it's just really unfortunate that you had such a good cushion after they won four consecutive games right before Christmas. So we'll see. I'm going to stay optimistic until at least the All-Star break because they have done more good than harm this season. But at the same time, the way that they exactly overwhelmingly positive. Fifty-two points. They're technically uh, oh, the same. They have the same amount of points, less uh, regulation wins in Carolina, but they have the same amount of points. Fifty-two. Panthers are at forty-nine, so there is a bit of a, a three-point gap there. So the Flyers are, you know, after that though, I mean, Penguins and Islanders starting to run away. They have fifty-seven points, so. Nobody really is too far behind them other than the Panthers. You got the Blue Jackets there with 50 as well, but they're the Blue Jackets. They're bound to fall apart sooner or later. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting little race here for the wild card spots. And uh, you know, they beat the Capitals. They'll be facing the Bruins. That'll be one of the two teams they'd face if they get the uh, wild card spot of the season we're in today. So 
Be an interesting three games, everybody. Uh, I think that is just about it for us. I'll be back later tonight with the Angry Negative Show. Jim and I already capped the past two games. Uh, I'll be back next week with more announcements as far as who uh, the new cast members are joining uh, BBW Radio and Brotherly Pod. We'll talk about that more later. Um, you can find us at brother uh, at uh, Dan the Flyer fan, rather, for myself, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pot, at Angry Negative. Be sure to subscribe to all the new uh, Angry Negative Show platforms if you have not yet, as we are now sold. So be sure to check that out. All the links are on the Twitter page. Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Find me at AidMarker25. All right, everybody. That is it for this episode of Flyers AD. We'll be back next week, I'm sure. Just another fantastic mood, (laughs) depending on how this road trip goes. (laughs) But uh, that is it for us, everybody. Goodbye and good night.